welcome to the Smokies and Wine podcast with JB and Jamie with the best guests, wine and chat. You know it makes sense. Sponsored by Clackenview Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow. Hi then, uh, welcome to Smokies and Wine. We are uh, today we are drinking. This is a great one to announce. Cortez de Cima Terroir. So, and we're with Callum Owen. Callum, good to see you. Cheers, cheers, cheers. cheers mate. And just to let everybody know, you can get this uh, at Wine and Something, our good friends. Uh, so get on to them, and don't forget that Smokey's Ten discount code get you ten percent off. Anyway, as we said, Callum, there's a lot we want to cover with you. You've got so many different facets probably to, to your life. Um, difficult to know where to start. I don't want to really say let's start at the beginning and go back to childhood or anything like that. Yeah. But um, when, when you left school, you would have went into would it be the Marines, the Army. It was the Army, yeah. The Army. Um, um, what age were you then? When you... 17. 17. 17. Um, I'd, I'd, the plan was to join the Marines, um, but there would be quite a, a, a time lapse It'd be a wait about four or five months really? um, for the next, obviously, test and stuff. Uh, but my older brother, um, he was RHF, he was an infantryman. Um, so that was why, why I chose that career path. And he said, we well, can still get your Green Beret, but join the army. So, so was, was your ambition to go in the army? Yeah. So it's yeah. a new school, is it a family thing? Or? Yeah, my, my older brother, um, he was a youngest serving soldier in the first Gulf War. He was uh, 17 and a half. Wow. Um, when he went, he went over there for the, the first golf one, he's he kind of um, my hero for being a bit of a dick. Um, so I've always like me him. Yeah, it's like I've always, always kind of you know idolised him a little bit and kind of you know wanted to be better than him. So, so I did the commando course, joined two nine, uh, and being Scottish and and try to see the world, they fucking sent me to Arbroath. Cheers. <laughs> So you never served with your brother then at any point in the same... No, um, so that's a, a funny story. Um, years later, when I went into private security, um, I walked past him in, at Bajra Palace, um, and just a quick nod, and he's like, you are right. And one of my mates was like, that looked like a midget you. And I was like, yeah, it's my big brother. My brother's fucking tiny. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's about five foot nothing. Um, and we just we caught up later on. By that time, we were both busy doing what we were doing. And my mate's like... It was last week, so I hadn't seen him for about four or five years, um, just with him serving me, working away. Yeah. So you so didn't was, know he was there? Like I, yeah, there? I had no idea he was there, he had no idea I was here. Um, it was quite funny because we managed to phone my mum later on, and like a big surprise, she's like, hi, very good. I said, well, cheers, mate, yeah. <laughs> mum, she doesn't get excited about much, like, but yeah, uh, yeah so it was you know, funny meeting up here there. But yeah, 16, 17, um, time I got to Abroad, I'd just turned 18, um, to seven battery. Uh, I did my whole career there, did the whole service up in, in, in Condor. How long was that you were in? Just shy of eight years right. I did. Um, it kind of it kind of ran its course. I think I'd done everything I kind of wanted to do. Um, and my next goal was, uh, believe it or not, and I still can't believe I say this, to join the police. Um, and I joined the police for seven and a half minutes. Uh, I went to Tully Allen. And I'm, yeah. I think I'm the only recruit to be charged with a crime at Tully Allen. <laughs> I got done for police assault. You can't so. just leave it at that. What happened? Um, I had an altercation with uh, 
You sound like a policeman. One of the tutors. One of the the tutors. Um, and it wasn't for me. I thought it'd be a natural progression from the uniform service into the, mm -hmm. the camaraderie. And uh, I've got a lot of friends in the police. I've got to watch what I'm saying here. Um, but it wasn't even. I didn't suit it. It didn't suit me. Um, I'll tell you off air the real story. Right. I guess I get sued. But um, yeah, and that's it, it was what it was. And it was time to. Really, I did my, my training, but I didn't pursue it as a career. I resigned, um, then went to the Millgate to console myself on the Thursday. The Millgate pub? The Millgate pub, <laughs> and met a, a guy at the bar, as you do, and ended up a flight to Iraq on the Monday morning. So, just by chance meeting. And that was the private that security? That was the private security. Um, so, yeah, that's the like 10 years of my life. and two sentences <laughs> the yeah military career was quite um it, well, it was amazing you had uh al suter on yeah. a while ago i can't take all the credit for his darting career but i was his roommate in northern ireland when we served there right, okay. um he was chucking darts at you yeah pretty much <laughs> um i think i used to I, think I, used to, I used to start in 101 and he still fucking beat me the boy's a talent ah, uh, he's good and he was yeah. good quality as well yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a good, good lad. lad what he does for the for the darts and the kids and that is, is amazing as well but yeah, kind of, it, it, it was what it was, um, the the military thing, and, and obviously kind of, the police not working out, he left me at a kind of loose end, and I wasn't sure what to do, so when you've done that, most of your adult life, and you're like, right, so where do I go? Um, I had looked into, you know, I'd heard about the private security sort of thing from a couple of friends that were doing it, um, and just a chance chat with a guy at the bar, and he says, we're doing this job, do you fancy it? And I'm like, how much? He said it much. I went yes, and I packed my bags, and and that was it. The start of a, a whole new career. Did we, the army not train you for leaving the army in Britain? They, you know what I mean? Did they give you any? There is. Um, I was lucky. Um, they pretty much said to me, "If the police take you, piss off." So I got in pretty much with a, you know, uh, no transition needed. There is a transition teams. Um, resettlement courses and things like that. There's like a, a set amount of money you can get to go and do a resettlement okay. course. Right. To the, be trained to get back yeah. into sort of it, civilian is, life. Which is quite funny because most of the courses cost the exact amount of money that the army give you. Right. So a lot of people know how to work the system with like you're getting that. So a um, couple of close protection courses or things like that. Um, the, the army get a bad rap with, with a lot of the mental health stuff. A lot of guys transitioning. Um, but they can do a lot better. Um, they shouldn't be left to, to private charities to to deal with what what's happening, especially after in Iraq and Afghan and stuff. But there is, you know, there is things available for guys who are, who are ready to go. But it's like anywhere. If you, you you tell your boss you don't want to be there anymore. You kind of do they just close the door on you basically? Yeah. So you've got no not come back. You can't go back and speak to them about stuff. Or? Um. No, no. no support there. Or? Not really. No, no. no, not really at all. Um, what made you say you wanted to leave then? I, th I think I'd, I'd run its course. Um, things were changing. It wasn't fun anymore. You know, like back to back tours and. You've done a lot and seen a lot. Yeah, it was. Um, it was time to, to to do something else. I think. Um, while I was young enough. Yeah. I mean, I look at my brother now. He was in his last. In fact, he'd he'd signed on to do two more years, and had a stroke. And they just kicked him to the side. He was supposed to be like he's dying out, and you know his big parade yeah, yeah. off the head of the court, and and see you later. Yeah, the, the way they treated him was 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 pretty shit. Do you think that's stress related or 
No. Well, and they found out he had a hole in his heart. Um, but he went on to fucking run, get him on your podcast. He's a fucking legend. He went on to run marathons, back-to-back marathons, and, you know, what he does, he's a ambassador for Help for Heroes uh, and things like that. He's a, yeah, he's really good. He's good. He wrote a book and, and shit. I can barely write my name. <laughs> Where's he based in? Um, he's in Kilmarnock. Right. Um, I'm from Ayrshire. Um, so I, I kind of settled up here for a, a couple of reasons, but it's far enough away for my family that they kind of just turned up and surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> and just when you're talking about the eight years that you, that you did serve, what what tour, where did you do your tours? Um, Northern Ireland, obviously. Northern one Ireland, um, Bosnia, uh, Afghan. Uh, I got out just as uh, the boys were in Iraq, um, pretty much. I think that, that didn't help too much. I was in Tolly Allen when the news came back that the regiment had lost some guys in a helicopter crash pretty much the first day of the incursion. So me and a couple of bootnecks had a few drinks, had a few more drinks, as you do when you lose somebody. Yeah. And it didn't really fit in with the ethos of the police college. Right. They don't do naked bar. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> we do, just for the record. Yeah. Um, so cheers that still. Door, that door's it's... got a lock on it. <laughs> And would you say, and we'll go on and talk about this a bit more, mm-hmm. um, you've been very open in some of the things you've sort of suffered from it and things like that over mm-hmm. the years, would you say that any of that started in the, the the service time or was that more in the private security? Would more, you be... more with the private security, I think. I think I saw more um, and went through more there. Um, it's a totally different way of life. Uh, you're working in small um, groups of guys. You know, over there at the start, that was it was like the Wild West. It was lawless. There was we had immunity from prosecution, which in the private security, yeah, side, right. which did lead to some guys taking liberties, wow. which was was so you, you could know, have done anything, anything at all. Immunity for private security. I think that would be government, but your private security companies are immunity from prosecution. Um, so. Every, I was I was lucky that every company I worked for were, were professional. Um, I either worked for the foreign office or the US State Department, but there were a few cowboy companies out there with a few rogue elements in them that thought they were just you know in the wild west basically. Um, but they got weeded out as soon as I think two thousand and seven. There was a big uprising. Those guys kind of shop shop and and pissed off leaving maybe four or five the larger companies so it's like if they do something wrong they don't get prosecuted but they just get like thrown off the rig so to speak they just nothing nothing, nothing. so on. they could just carry you don't have to normal. didn't have to report anything yeah there's a few few incidents which um were quite to, to, and that's what gave us a bad rap um there's a few incidents with, with blackwater a few incidents with like rogue elements of companies yeah. that gave private security contractors a, a bad name you know the 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 term mercenaries and, and, and shit like that. It wasn't like that. It's um, you know your professional, you know trained soldiers. The company I was working for, like special forces. You know, I was, and some of the jobs I was on, I was the only non-badged guy there. So it was Navy SEALs, a couple of SPS guys, Marines, South African special forces guys. So you're you're working with the, the tier one yeah. um, echelon of these these on these jobs, and you'd have other guys doing. Security details and the bouncer for fucking Liverpool. Probably get more fire firearms experience than me, like. But you know. and in, in fairness, because if, if you're out in a, a pub on a Friday night, bump into a guy, and you've started on the Monday, 
there's not really much of a let me have a look at your CV, let's do a job interview. No, it's, it's out there. Do you yeah. fancy it? Did, the, uh, did he know know you from? He knew of or? me, yeah. Right, okay. Um, so he didn't even know you, just of you. Just knew of me, yeah. Right. And once we had a chat, and uh, we're bound to know him if he's from that road. I can't remember the guy's name. This has become relevant when right, I okay. go into my story. My memory's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's not, it's you were not. on about special forces. Was there any? But well, I'm assuming there was banter between all the forces about who's the best. We're the best. Yeah, yeah. The South Africans are shit. Yeah. The... So I, used to, I used to work with a guy, an ex special forces guy, and he got retrained when I was in Australia mm-hmm. in IT, which I was in, and he used to go on about you know they were great. Yeah. And it's like no British. Are... We're the um, we're a lot of Kiwis. Um, we call them the Cuzzy Bros because all the Kiwis are all cousins or brothers. We've got fucking three surnames in the whole fucking island. <laughs> And there, the, the Kiwi SAS guys were, were amazing. They were totally professional. The a few old like South Africans, Rhodesian Special Forces, oh, mm-hmm. like they had seen some shit. Like they were, they'd been in some dark places. They were, were all quality guys. Again, no being disparaging to anybody, but some of the Polish Special Forces and remaining Special Forces couldn't tie their fucking shoelaces. So you know, they'd, if you if you ended up on our teams, uh, you'd get whittled out. Um, yeah. If you want to up to it pretty pretty quickly, the first bang normally makes you see what a, what a guy's made of. You know, if he's covering in the footwell, right. pissing himself, then it's time to go home. The the money was a massive attraction to guys. They called it, a couple of guys called it the dash for cash. They were getting paid ridiculous amounts of money, you know, for doing the the fun stuff that the military guys are doing. You know, these got these soldiers on a grand a month. Got some contracts were grand a day, yeah. so it made sense to, you know, try and get get out of there if you can. A lot of people said all you had to do was get a flight to Baghdad, get off the plane, and a company would pick you up, because they'd lost somebody on the way to the airport or there was a space, and then you do a lot, do a lot in country training, um, because that job nobody's ever done before. I mean, even the the old uh, special forces guys who had been in Northern Ireland in the seventies and eighties. That's was guerrilla warfare, but nothing compared to what we've seen out there. They took IEDs to a level, and within three years, which took the IRA thirty. They were using passive infrared, fucking crazy stuff, because they were getting funded by anybody that hates America, which is everybody. Yeah, and so, these IEDs—that's the explosive stuff. Isn't yeah, it? the, the explosive devices. Stuff, yeah, yeah. Um, but they weren't homemade. This this stuff was high tech. The passive infrared would, as soon as the front of your vehicle would, would break the beam, the IED was aimed to come out and just take out your driver. So it was that precise um, that the, it was called um, explosively formed projectile EFPs. So it'd be a big, uh, like a lead or um, iron in there, the explosive behind it. So the heat would form a massive pellet and it'd come straight through your body, your armour, in your, in your car. So we had the B10 trucks which the president has and it'd come through it like a knife through butter so you'd oh, yeah. you hit one of them your well, party's over does it not give you the shits when you it's not the guerrilla warfare or whatever it's not petrol bombs is it yeah and you know it's getting financed by big companies mm-hmm. uh, big countries um, Russia, China whatever it is at the start you'd hear a few you know ambushes where you'd be standing and fighting and you'd fight through it and, and, and different different things like that but the, once they realised they could hit you from 3k away and not you know not be bothered um it's it's, it's scary but you've got to trust your equipment you've got to trust your training and you'll trust the guy next to you 
and if, and if one of those, I always said, this, as soon as one of those three things go, then I'm, I'm coming home. Mm. Especially you've done places that the normal army isn't, is that? Mm-hmm. So you're right front line. Yeah. That was always funny. Because you had to go and ask permission to go somewhere and they say, no, we're going anywhere. Because we're getting paid. Yeah. And you've got immunity, so they can't do yeah. anything about it. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's an industry that's, that's very uh, client-led. Um, it's like you know, being a bodyguard. But being a bodyguard, you're a glorified um, personal shopper. Now, if your client says we're going here, we're going there, and you say, well, that's going to be busy or that, you're fucking going. Um, same way, same way over there. We had, we had, we we're pretty much mission essential. So that's the job. You know, a client needs to go and meet some tribal leader, and a fucking hole in the earth. You're taking them, and you drive up and you turn up and you're like, this is bad. Even your interpreter's gone. I was going to say, this you is, can smell yeah. this is not yeah. great, straight away. And you're, you're in, you know you're going into it. Yeah, you're in a situation straight away, um, which you knew was coming. So sometimes that's better because you're prepared. It's fucking stupid, you know, driving into an ambush knowing it's coming. But, you know, nine times out of ten, it passes with the incident. But that one time, you're, you're in the shit. And what would your tours, like call them tours, trips, what length would you, just as long as the contract is? Yeah, and nobody wanted to go home because that's where they fired you. Big business. They, some massive companies. There was more... After the US soldiers, the second biggest um, personnel on the ground were private contractors. There's no private con- more private contractors than British soldiers in Iraq at one time doing all sorts of jobs like driving buses and you know, doing uh, escorting trucks and, and shit all the way to the top, close protection stuff. Um, but yeah, when when you get home, you always check the email as soon as you get home. Like, am I coming back? Is there a job to come back to? Because they just wanted, you know, uh, boots on the on the ground. Um, until I got to my my last position, where it was quite secure. It was a, you know, we got a year contract, which is not worth the fucking paper it's written on. Is but, that a year out there? It's not like month on month off like the rest. I did. It's I did three solid. three months on, one month off. But we started a contract once, where we all started on the same day. It was supposed to be nine weeks on, three weeks off. But when you do the math, somebody's doing 36 weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to do... I did... The longest I did it there was six months um, solid, um, which was which hard going. It was mental fatigue, didn't it? Yeah. I'm quite lucky because I'm mental anyway. Um, <laughs> kinda, Who are you the, actually looking after then? Or, or in, in terms of the... Not, I mean, don't mean name yeah. them, but you know, what types of people are you... When I worked for the, the Foreign Office, it was the Deputy Ambassador the consulate general in Bajra I was his uh, bodyguard um, and then working for the, the later company it was US State Department so it was judges um, State Department officials uh, quite high end okay. um, high high value targets and why is um, the army not looking after them is it just money yeah plain um, and simple plain and simple money yeah they just wouldn't pay no and the, their guys out. yeah the you would sometimes you would have um, like if somebody uh, said Mrs Clinton turned up, yeah, bite my lip. Horrible woman, horrible. She's the fucking devil. Yeah. Um, her uh, ser- secret service team fucking hated her. Yeah, I wanted to sh- way, what was your- just a fucking nasty bitch. Right. Um, just nasty to her team. Um, just very very rude. Um, abusive in the way she was, but. When she, she was the foreign she was yeah, foreign, foreign secretary, secretary yeah. yeah the thing she did um, she should have been strung up for 
but yeah, she they would have a, a military escort, so you'd have air cover, you'd have you know Humvees and the shit escorting you. But and at the end of the day, you're reliable for for their safety. And it's always funny when you're given like a security brief. There's also the pecking order. And this is that's your client. You're hanging on. You look after yourself. If you need a gun, there'll be fucking one on the floor. Don't worry about it. You know, kind of. You, you kind of. They're, they're not ready. You know, people like civilians. Once they get into that sort of that zone, and the, the reality hits them, you see the the change in them. Um, most of them. Um, and it's m- most mostly from the security brief. There was a, a certain Mister Blair. Um, pretty much made him shit his pants, and never even left the compound. Just mm-hmm. telling him where we're going, what we're doing. He wouldn't leave with it anywhere without a helicopter. Really? So yeah, he's a another tit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. And are your orders for, for regardless who the people are, but the high the high prover uh, to potentially take a bullet for these people if you have to? Yeah. Or? There's there's a few there's, there's a, a book called Bullet Catchers. You know, the, the training is you know step in front of your client, make yourself big, and you're there to, to put your life on the line. I never I never looked at it like that. I'd always say I'm protecting my team my teammates is who I'd, I'd die for you know in a heartbeat yeah. you know to protect any of them um, but that's what I'm saying your, your client is your, is your is your money you know you lose a client your your job's done you're yeah, over you're uh, not coming back yeah, you're, yeah, you're, not good on your CV is no, it? no <laughs> that's the one thing you can't do but yeah you're, you're, that's where the training kicks in and, and you're hoping you know if, if everybody does a job then you shouldn't and everybody should get home. Everybody should be intact. In but that, yeah, you're right enough. You know, you're you're getting you're putting your body between yeah. them. And was it like the wild? You mentioned Wild West earlier. Is it literally pretty daft and crazy? It was and mental. No laws and yeah, um, it was it was lawless. Yeah, because the they sacked the police and they disbanded the military and, and started again. So there are a lot of issues there where they were, they'd have um, insurgents. Just turning up and joining the police. This but is it, when the war had finished. Yeah, the it? war had finished. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's the war itself was over in yeah, in a heartbeat as well. But the the insurgents then infiltrated the police, infiltrated the the military, and that's with a lot of issues with trainers being shot by people who'd, who'd infiltrated these these training camps and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you had guys that we did a lot of stuff training the the Iraqi special forces, and they wouldn't carry their pistol with rounds in it because it was too heavy. <laughs> What's the point yeah. of even having it? Don't, they're nuts. They're not, again, not being disparaged into any race or anything, but you're trying to, you know, train these people to, you know, weapon handling and how to walk in a straight line, how to stand up straight, and just fucking shambles. Their military was a shambles, um, but they started again. It's a lot, a lot of funny stories. I think that's for bottle of wine number three. <laughs> <laughs> we'll still be recording. Don't worry. <laughs> You you were in Bosnia, Afghan, mm-hmm. Iraq. What what would be the either the worst position you found yourself in, or the most scared that you've ever been on any of these trips? Now this is not arrogant or anything. I don't fear is is it's an emotion. It can be controlled like everything, like you know, happiness, you know, sadness, fear. Um, it's just another emotion that you can control, but. For me to sit here and say I wasn't scared, I'd be lying. You know, there's situations where you've got to take a second, take a deep breath and go, fuck, this is it. Uh, you think you're not getting out of here, you know, loads of things go through your mind. 
hopefully not one's a fucking bullet. You know, you're thinking, you know, trying to make a, a plan on the fucking bounce, and you're like, uh, you know, and then, you know, thirty seconds passed, it feels like a lifetime, and then you're like, right, I'm still here, right, let's you know, get out of this, and then and get back and have a beer. And that's when your training kicks in. Yeah, it becomes yeah, second nature, natural. Yeah, there are a couple of there are a couple of incidents where where it's been right. This is it. But we're not getting out of this. There are a couple of ambushes where you know to the left there's a river, to the right is a minefield, and there's three hundred fucking insurgents. You've, you've drove into an insurgent training camp because you've been given the wrong fucking grid square to go and visit some fucking oil plant, and they're literally training, and they turn around and see you. And we are like going down a narrow road, three vehicles, one behind each other, and I'm at the front going, fuck. <laughs> right. But yeah, you, luckily the, the armoured car took the, the brunt of it, but right where my face was, there was a big. Uh, There's no room for discussion right here, it's just kicks off. No, no, nobody even speaks. Just kicks you're, you're, off yeah, usually. You're, uh, you know what you're doing, so you know, contact front gets, gets called and everybody reacts. Um, the drivers do what they do, and we get out. There's actually every, every story has got a, a, a fucking funny element to it. I don't know it's because I just because I was there, but um, Can you give us one example then of just trying to paint a picture of something like that yeah. that's happened. And so that that, that happened, um, and I'm driving the, the front vehicle, um, which has got a, a, a rear gunner in the back of it. So I spin round and uh, I call him Handsome Rob, the Swedish guy, good-looking fucker. Um, he's like, "We'll open the the back and return fire," and I was like, "No." because there's 300 of them, there's one of you, we'll just get the fuck out of here. So we've got this vehicle which is maybe $300,000, $400,000 worth of equipment on it. It's got a Kodan, they've got special fucking satellite phones. Everything dies. Like everything. Fucking nothing works. Power goes and everything. Car starts chuttering. And uh, the Danish guy next to me on his Nokia fucking brick texts the fucking embassy the where we are, what happened on a fucking Nokia phone. That's how we sent a contact report. And I'm like, that's about half a million fucking pounds. <laughs> and you've got a Nokia out the fucking window like <laughs> I've got a signal. <laughs> Send. And he's like they, they phoned him. But he was still playing snake. Yeah. Pretty much big uh, flame. But again, it's when you look around and he's got the you know, the wherewithal to go right, no working send. Right. And he's like so the phone back, what's happening? And there's obviously a, a format you go through for for a contact report, and he's like, "We turned up, they shot at us, we left, and hung up." <laughs> I'm like, "Brilliant! That's pretty much all the information you fucking yeah. need." And uh, and we got the fuck out of there. And that was the that was the last time when something like that happened that I didn't set fire to the car because I go into that the engine died, power steering goes, and we're like, well, "This car's fucking expensive, so we can't just ditch it." So we fucking strap it up and tow it, so put the other two guys in other cars, I'm driving this car in 60 degree fucking heat with no power steering, no air conditioning, and just pissing myself, you know, this is where I am now, you know, I'm driving a fucked up fucking car in southern Iraq in the blistering heat, and there's fuckers who don't even know me, you know, if they took the chance to get to know me, they wouldn't try and shoot me, good guy, but I'm here now trying to fucking rescue this car, every time after that, fucking hand grenade, blow it up, set fire to it, leave it. And that was that became the SOPs. And is that because so that they couldn't? Yeah. Then so they, call yeah, the they couldn't. They couldn't. Yeah. You, you took all the sensitive <clears throat> equipment off it. You took all your paperwork out of it. Um, cut cables. Try and save as much as you can. But 
you've got five minutes yeah, you're to, taking a risk trying to save a to car. debus and get the fuck out of there and I said people's lives are, are way more important yeah, than, than this car I'm not Bill was it Bill me fuck off <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get fully comp now no no <laughs> That, that it's obviously not a twenty four seven job. You, there's got to be some downtime when when you're out there. Where where are you sleeping, staying? What are you doing? Um, we've had a few fun places. Stay at the Baghdad Hotel. We commandeered that, um, which is quite nice. And then I went to I'm good. good. Went to the airport, uh, Baghdad Airport. We put made a we built a compound there. And all you need was a bed and air conditioning. Every every job I've been on. Um, I make friends with three people. That's the medic, the chef, and the armourer. Because I need good drugs, good guns, and good scram. And that's it. Explain good. the good drugs comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to sleep. <laughs> oh, right, okay. um, another funny story, because you're right next to fucking Iran, Afghanistan. Um, French, French Foreign Legion guy I worked with, uh, Fabian, got in a, a bit of trouble with uh, two gorilla boxes full of heroin. Think he could just drive them through Kuwait and put them through Kuwait. Because that's OPM Central, yeah. isn't it? Oh, mate, Afghanistan. It's, it's crazy. There's French guys like that. Oh, I've got a friend, drop this stuff off. No. <laughs> I'm, I'm all right, mate. Don't worry about it. But that's, you're, you're, you're meeting all these characters who are, you know, been all around the world. One of the, the funniest fucking things was, uh, you're talking about being scared. This was one of the times where I was like, shit. Um, around a fire one night in uh, Hilla having a beer with a guy called Carl Penta and my mate Dave. Dave's Foreign Legion. Carl Penta wrote um, Mercenary's Tale, Have Gun, Will Travel in Suriname, where he taught the the locals the mercenaries to overthrow the government. Dave hunted them for the Foreign Legion because Suriname was a French fucking province. And I'm sitting there with a bottle of beer going, this will be fun. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Dave, tell Carl about your day. They were fine. They had a good, good laugh about it. I was like, that's, that's surreal to it me. It wasn't obviously successful. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, Carol's a very interesting character. Um, and actually, you meet, you meet these guys um, with amazing backstories and uh, sort of the earth, just, just normal human beings until, you know, shit hits the fan and it's phenomenal. We always said, we never got paid for what we do. We got paid for what we might have to do and then it's never enough because a lot of guys didn't make it back home. So you can't put a price, well you did, you put a price on your life and that's what you negotiated with your, your contract when you do that sort of line of work. If you're sitting there, you know how you've got to rely on your teammates, basically, and you see one of them that you just don't trust or you're not He's gone. In, you can... He's gone, yeah. I, we, I worked with a, on the training team, um, so when new guys come in country, we take them for weapon handling stuff, um, especially because your, your weapon's live in the car. And I've had guys fucking... Um, ND in the back of the the, the wagon fucking <laughs> we did a lot of stuff uh, with uh, soft skin vehicles so you can shoot through the window if shit happens and then we got upgraded to armoured vehicles which is nice because they can't shoot in yeah, yeah. Um, and first day we had them the lad in the back forgot and let off a 762 it was like a fucking wasp shoot through the window. it was like a wasp <laughs> in this fucking ting 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 I just sat there going fuck me uh, he was he was he was on a flight home that afternoon, but he just yeah just forgot you know didn't switch on. It's not your it's your call, but it could be anybody else's call as well. Saying look, yeah, you well, don't I, trust this guy or he's yeah. I was um, a couple of jobs I was on. I was lucky enough to be team leader 
when I worked for the Americans, I was a chef leader or agent in charge uh, until it became, you know, quite political where the Americans could only do certain jobs and stuff like that. But because I'd been there for quite a time, um, even though I was still only in my late 20s, I had quite a lot of respect and, and, and clout way. And you you, you kind of knew that if, if I had that instinct, there'd be somebody else in the team who'd be like, no, you don't fit here. And it would be, there's a lot of personality clashes. You're in an alpha male mm. and a fucking group of very alpha males alpha. and nobody's backing down. Yeah. You know, that's why, um, <laughs> it's obviously, a, a, there's a Muslim country, but they banned alcohol because you've got guys on the edge, you know, and then you let them tan a bottle of Jack Daniels. Yeah. That's when things, you know, and it's simple things like, oh, you ate the last fucking toasty at fucking breakfast, you like, smash, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we get quite petty sometimes. Um, but yeah, you were talking about, you know, downtime. The the Americans, the, their setup is phenomenal. I mean, their pizza huts, McDonald's, fucking gyms were amazing. Really? Um, yeah, um, swimming pools, they were, their, their rear echelon was, was phenomenal. Cinemas, you know, fucking perfect. British was fucking shit, you know, nothing. The British Army had absolutely nothing compared to well, with like the Yanks. I remember when I was working 30 years ago or something in Scotland and Brechin, you know the Brechin base? Mm -hmm. Everybody used to go in there because it had everything. Oh yeah, you could go and buy a Harley Davidson. Yeah, Edsel. The PX, you can go and buy a Harley Davidson. And it's, I'm like, it was mental. It's not a great time you had on base because it yeah. had nothing you had. And then you go you and look at Condor and it was nowhere like that. No. We go to some of the British bases. We go in, and it'd be like one sausage, one bit of egg, you know, one bit of bacon. And you got the Yanks. It's like fucking hot dogs, fucking cheeseburgers. You're like, yeah, well, I'm just sitting down. Yeah, put on a fair bit of weight working with the Yanks, like. But, yeah. <laughs> on the subject of Yanks, though, controversial statement, but are they really thick as fuck? Bone, fucking bone. <laughs> it's a couple. Of, honestly, you, you you look at some of them and you, you give orders, and one of the guys actually. Those two. Myself and a, a big lad for Paisley were the only two um, Scots guys in the whole contract right. of the whole company. So if anything happened and I was involved, they'd bring the big lad in and say, what's what's Carl saying here? And he'd be like, fuck no, he's for the East Coast. I don't know what he's fucking saying. And I'd be the same. I went, he's a wee jeep. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. That's a different language than there. Because we were saying, using colourful language, yeah. in the old broad Scots tongue. Um, but yeah, some, I'd give a brief... And you look at the Americans and they'd be like, what are you saying, bro? So we'd, I'd put on my Texan slang or fucking, hey, y'all. You know, start speaking. Like, because some of them, a couple of guys from Georgia, fucking jumping back in the swamp. Phenomenal soldiers, but not good for a fucking trivial pursuit quiz. Like, you know, <laughs> fucking solid. Was there much infighting? Like, squabbles with your own, your own team and things like that? Um, the, the biggest thing was leave um, something I wasn't too bothered about um, because I don't like people so I wasn't too bothered about coming home you know, I, was, I was doing something I was born to do and love doing so I was like fucking pay me for being here I'm... JB take that wine on <laughs> yeah. um, so I was, I was fine but a I lot of people that's <laughs> what <laughs> <So> she said <laughs> um, but a lot of people the biggest thing is if, if you mess with people's leave like somebody's boys leave would get cancelled because some other guy needed to go home because his fucking grand was pregnant again or something pish like that but the, the, the funny story was always I never made it back in time I'd always be delayed but yeah. a legit reason so I'd phone up uh, one year and the boy's like right what is it this time 
volcano. I can't fly it because the volcano's erupted. Like, that's fucking brilliant, Carl. That's the best one yet. I'm like, Jen, put the fucking news on. Yeah, the one in Norway. No, yeah. Was, like, yeah, piss off. And then I think it was like March or April time at a, a nice wee Porsche box there. It was covered in snow. And I said, I'm snowed in. I can't get out anywhere. It's like, piss off. There's like pictures, you know. And a couple of times like, I, I went over to my uncle the night before or something and but that was always the ongoing joke it was like I'd have my day out and then day back would just be blank just whenever you feel like coming back Carl just you, you crack on do your own thing but that that would be the only a couple of things a couple of things happened near the end of my tour and that's where that comes on to my, my biggest issue um, with, with decision making um, the, 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 the job change with the um, the licensing for security companies coming in, um, the prosecution thing coming in, saying you can get stopped by the police. But I'm like, the police are the baddies. We're not getting stopped by the police. Um, we're not stopping. We're going to keep going. Um, and I can, I, I, I can. He said, I was, I was, I was like, it's time to go home. Um, but I stayed, and uh, the, the guys went on on a mission, and it was like two days before my birthday. Um, so I was given the day off because I was travelling home the next day. So that's what I was get. Nobody wants to get fucking blown up the day before they're due to go home. What year was this? Uh, 2009. Again, memory shit, but I think it's 2009. So one of my my friends, the the medic, literally flew in the night before. So you're supposed to get a day off when you come back in. So you're jet lagged and tired and shit. And I was like, I don't mind working. You know, you you take the day off, I'll stay in. So they goes off on their... On their mission, and I, I handed my weapons in, and you know, I was trying to, you know, get my, my civvy head back on, and you know, pack all my stuff away and get ready to to fly home the, the following day, the day after the following day, um, and the fucking ass fell out of the world. Um, alarms were going off in the office. It was the the, the big, the, the worst thing, fucking imagine what happened. Um, the boys had been taken hostage, so the four boys in the car that had been in the last four months. Incident happened at uh, one of the checkpoints. They pulled the Iraqi army and the Iraqi police had surrounded them, pulled a tank up in front of them. The way the suburbans work was your, your drills is drive on, drive fucking through, drive over the top of everybody and get the fuck out of there. When you, you, you throw the automatic into reverse, it goes through neutral, which disables the central locking, which to me is a fucking design flaw. Yeah. So as soon as that <laughs> happened, the Iraqis opened the doors, um, dragged the lads out. Um, and then held them. There was held about nine hours. They beat the shit out of them. Uh, this is the Iraqi police involved. Yeah, the Iraqi police and the Iraqi army took the took the boys hostage, held them at the. We were lucky because one of the one of the little buds managed to follow the the Humvees that they rammed them in the back of, um, to one of the, the police compounds. So I went to get my fucking guns at the armory. I'm gonna get my mates back. And no uncertain terms where going. They wouldn't let me fucking go. It wasn't going to happen. So I managed to sweet talk one of my friends and he let me go with his his team. Uh, one of the teams going to to help. They got hit an ambush. We managed to get to where they were being held. It was one of the senior um, State Department advisors negotiated the release. Now this is again where the the funny thing comes in. The big guy Chad, six foot fucking six, American football fucking unit looked better when he got handed back than he had been when he got fucking kidnapped. They brushed his hair, fucking tidied him up, fucking done his collar up and I was like, how the fuck does that happen? The first thing I, I registered was, 
been that good this morning. Brushed up. Yeah, um, but those boys had been through through hell, and a big problem I've got is it wouldn't happen if I was there. Now thousands of pounds of therapy, uh, medication, and fucking shit. They won't change my mind because they told me that. I sat up in a hospital um, with one of the guys, and then he said, you know, pretty much blame me for not being there. Well, it happened because I wasn't there. Not blame me, but was like, you know, you should have been there. Um, and it's that guy that took my seat, went through that. So yeah, a lot of people, when you're in like survivor guilt and, and things like that, um, when you say, you know, it wouldn't have happened if I, I could have done this and done that, it's legit. That wouldn't have happened if I was in charge of that vehicle because I'd have fucking gone. Um, and I had a massive issue with uh, the guy in charge that day. Um, and that almost came to blows. And that's pretty much, you know, I, I don't celebrate my birthday. I've had a few bad, very dark days on that anniversary. And it's it's, it's going to it's gonna live in me for forever. And those guys went through that because I wasn't there. And, I, and you're probably sitting there going, well, you can't say that. Well, I can't. And I know there's nothing going to change my mind. Uh, and it, 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 it haunts me. But they, they they survived. They got home. They never returned to work. Um, they were they were done. They're all suffering PTSD from that. Fucking rightly so. Uh, but that's my when you're again. This will come on to my, my PTSD. To be diagnosed with PTSD, you have to have a specific incident. It has to be a specific thing that's happened. Whereas, about fucking eighteen years of incidents. You know, some worse than others. But they said that's the trigger that. After that day, I went, actually I went back, I didn't last maybe a, a year, there was an incident where I ended up getting injured in, in, in a contact and I needed back surgery, I was paralysed on my left side and I don't think of that as bad as that day, mm. you know, that was again one of those days where you know you shouldn't have, shouldn't be walking again, but you know that's the, the one incident which, which triggers the survivor guilt and, and the, the PTSD, but there's countless events that you know, we go back and look at you know contacts and incidents and accidents and and different stuff you know getting mortared and um stuff like that but i never sweated that you know it's until you come home and i had my my back surgery and i was speaking to the surgeon and um <clears throat> i was like so what's the what's the odds i meant going back to work and he was it's 50 50 you walk properly again and I was like, well, that's, you know, depression, fucking straight away, you know, just couldn't train, and I've been training since I was 13, 14 years old, so couldn't go to the gym, couldn't walk, couldn't run, hit a really fucking low point, and that was, probably, I think it was the second time that I made a serious attempt in taking my, my own life, and you, you don't, you can't explain to people how low you feel when you're there, because some people can't comprehend it because it's this people say it's a coward way out or you know there's always something you can do but when you get to that dark place where this is the only way the only place I can do the only thing I can do is is, is tough so I was that the first my first attempt was was after we lost a lot of friends in one incident and I actually put my pistol in my mouth and pulled the trigger it never went off and I've I don't still have that round because that would be illegal. But uh, 
that was the one that, that, that should have fucking ended me. So, you know, it, I took it as a sign or just fucking cheap ammunition, you know, it didn't go off. So I, I kind of bucked my ideas up and, and cracked on, as they say. But the... So it was, just, sorry, it was just a bullet that just failed? Yeah, failed, um, failed primer. So it was a live bullet? Yeah. And I, I cocked it, released that one, and, and, and went to go again. But I, I, I didn't. You know, I stopped myself because you've got time to think. You know, it's like you know, jumpers. If the guy's on the bridge, the chances are he's not jumping because he's still on the bridge. We just step off, and that's and it sounds so fucking bad every time I've tried to you know take my life. Um, I'm shit at suicide, by the way. Fucking crap at it. Yeah. Um, Thank God. Yeah. It's it's just the the lowest place, and and, and you, you try and people will always think, you know, I've got kids, and you're thinking they're, well, they're not enough for me to stay, and a lot of times that's what brought me back. I've been on the brink so many times, and that's what brings me back is it's the face of my kids, imagining what it'd do to my friends and family, but is that enough? I've always said that it's just, when when somebody is suicidal, there's nothing going to bring them back. A lot of people say, oh, why didn't they ask? Or why didn't they reach out? But if, if they can look back, they'll see that person was in some way. You know, that it's, it's not... People are getting better at talking. It took me a long time to get in therapy. It took me a long time to be in a position to do this. Two guys never fucking met, bottle of wine, and you're talking about fucking suicide, and you're like, fucking great chat, Carl, cheers. It's a great night. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, you're a worse drinker than you are at suicide, yeah. to be honest. You've hardly had any. <laughs> See, just at that, at that moment then, and I don't want to sort of make light of anything, but... Well, I do. Yeah, I do. I guess that's what gets me through it. And I know that you said your memory's not great and, and stuff like that, but... See, at that precise moment when you've got the gun in your mouth ready to pull, what exactly is going through your, your head at, at that stage? It's Thankfully not a bullet, but... It's over. Just peace. I was waiting to see you just look at the Yeah, just that. Yeah, everything just goes. Felt <laughs> You feel so light. 18 fucking stone. I'm not going to be light again. But yeah, it's just that... You know, that exhale and... No, the pain's going away, and that, that's the the big thing is is you 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 need that. You try to find something to take that that pain away because it's the hurts like fuck. Yeah. You know, you've got that guilt, you've got the the nightmares, you got flashbacks, and you know there'll be people listening to this going, yeah, but you got fucking paid for it. I chose to do what I wanted to do. I think you're 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 destined and you're made to do certain things. And I was made to do that job. Again, I'm the least arrogant person you meet in your life. I was fucking awesome at it probably one of the best guys to, to, to do it and when you're told that's it what do you do you, know, you come back um, I, was in, I was living in Liverpool at the time when I had my surgery and when I was fit enough to travel I decided you know I don't, I don't want to be here anymore I don't want to hurt anybody anymore so I'm going to move to Arbroath so I had a flat next to the cliffs and I walked the cliffs every day what made you go from Liverpool to Arbroath? it was home right which sounds shit <laughs> um, but that's the place I spent most of my life you know, I, you know I've spent I've now spent more time up in Angus than I have done in Ayrshire yeah. so it did feel like home and that's, that's what I did every, every night I didn't sleep got insomnia and every night I'd, I'd walk and, and think of a reason to stay and there was sometimes you couldn't 
Right, so sometimes there's, there's you like that's not that's, it's not it's not enough. It's just like that's the pain's still going to be there. So I needed to find an out and an outlet because I've been it's been just fucking darkness for so long. So I thought right, well, I can help people. You know, if I can help people who are I'm by no I'm by no means cured or you know through the tunnel or at the other end or fucking the Messiah or anything like that shit, but I know how these guys are feeling. The best therapist I ever had was a fucking tree-hugging hippie. We were the polar opposites. I didn't agree with anything she believed in at all. I could speak to her. And that speaking actually, it's a, the old cliche, but it's it's the best, it's best, best medicine. But when you can speak to somebody who's, you know, bled in the same shithole as you, I know exactly where you've been, exactly what you're thinking. So I set up a little um, little charity called Inner Battles, which was just a Facebook page and my phone number, and I managed to help uh, a few people, and it, that became my my outlet. Was right, I need to be here for other folk, and I for a good well, that's ten years I've been still here, and that's what I've been doing. You know, trying to help folk either through training or you know talking or, or anything anything that anything that people need and it's just um, not ex-servicemen it's anybody, anybody. anybody. yeah it, start, it started off um, ex-servicemen and I've got a lot of right now the the, the, the real pandemic is, is mental health and kids where you're we're in for a, a hell of a next couple of years these kids are they're in trouble with the last year that we've had so I do a lot of stuff with underprivileged kids and you know kids we we issues um, because you, know, you, you try and relate to my trauma to what they're going through I know yourself so I've, I've trained this young lad boxing uh, through the foster homes care homes and he's fucking lightning guy's been through hell but he's like hands are hands are amazing footwork shit but he's his hands are amazing um, and that's you know I can help him use that as a an out for the shit that's going on in his life for never in here, he can be Joe yeah. Frazier, he can be Ali, he can be whoever he wants. Um, so I kind of I kind of enjoy doing that. So I set up my little gym, and it was my out as well, so I got somewhere to train. And I had the, the inkling that I wanted to fight, because that's what I do. you know. And it was just like, you know, being told that you can't play rugby again, you can't fight again, you can't go back to work. It didn't really sit well with me, so I was like, no. Fuck you! I'm gonna go on and, and and do what I want to do. Um, so I was see after your operation. Sorry, just before we get into that, how long were you before you were walking properly again and things like that? It was about three months. Right. Yeah, so it's a, a micro disectomy at the base of my spine. They've just taken a disc out. That's um, fine. <laughs> yeah, so I think the when they were in, there was actually it's pretty much a chip sitting on the sciatic nerve. Uh, it's agony. Torture. So I was nearly crying. So yeah. No, it is. It's, it's chronic back pain now. <laughs> but yeah, so I spoke to um, the doctor about I started playing rugby for our broth again, and you know I talked about the fighting. And he said you've got as much chance of getting hurt as anybody else. You know you 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 know your injury, but I didn't tell him about my brain injury because you're no fucking fighting. With a brain injury, and that's pretty much me retired myself by saying this online. But I have a traumatic brain injury, 
which I'll come on to. And this is what I do. I fucking t- tell a story and fucking go into something else and then fucking... You're not Billy Connolly. It's like a fucking Billy Connolly joke. <laughs> um, so you need to um, remind me where the fuck I'm going with this. I'll drink up a drink. <laughs> anyway, so there we were. Um, yeah, so I wanted, to, I wanted to fucking fight. Which is, it was harder said than done because I was a fat fuck. Um, Did you not fight in the forces at all then? Boxed. Boxed. Yeah. Um, and it was when I did the private security that I started fighting, wrestling, um, grappling with Americans. Nobody wanted to stand and fucking punch. The Americans are all wrestlers oh. and grapplers, don't they? They yeah. love that shit. Yeah, um, but phenomenal, great. It's, that's what the, the the best base for UFC uh, or MMA at all is. this wrestling. Um, the, the lad I teach, uh, a coach, uh, Fraser, backhold wrestler. International fucking level. The guy that beat um, the Irish dude, didn't he? The Russian with a huge name. He's a wrestler. Yeah, wrestling's it's, it's something being, being Scottish. It's, you, we, don't, we don't fight on the floor. Yeah. Um, so it was totally alien to me. So it's, it was something I had to learn if I wanted to, to fight. So I got a couple of amateur fights and the, the opportunity to fight professionally came along. And I'm actually, I'm actually really good friends with, with Big Ross that I fought. But nine times out of ten if I had to fight that again I'd, I'd beat him and he wouldn't agree with me by saying that but the, the biggest thing before my fight like I said it's not fear it's my lack of self-belief and anxiety because I never think I'm good enough it's something I've, I've had since childhood it's something I've had you know in the military uh, even in my, the private security stuff it's always every day you're going fucking hell you know, these guys are all special forces or fucking Green Berets, Navy Seals, I'm just so many fucking prick for a broth. Or, you know. But it took a while for me to, to accept that, no, I belong here, this is what you're doing. And so that fight, I kind of I kinda beat myself in the changing room, and I know I did. Um, I had an opportunity to win the fight, and I never took it. And I got I got um, submitted, and I was kind of done, because that kind of kinda puts the nail on the head that, that you're, like you're no good enough. And you're like, fuck, you know, I could have made a big deal there and gone on to fighting a big show or whatever. I was never I was never aiming for the UFC, you know, that I'm too long in the tooth for that and I'm not good enough for that level. That's as fight game is levels to it. And that wasn't gonna happen. But an opportunity to, to fight again came along. And a good friend of mine was, was, was dying of cancer at the time. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for him. I always fight for somebody else. And I always fight better when it's it's not for me. So I had his name and my hand wraps and young Blake and the other hand wraps and it was, it's probably the best I've ever fought in my life. Technically I'm not great but I've got a fucking good left hook. Um, I actually you know, worked well on the ground and finished the, the fight in the first round. I've never made a penny from fighting. Everything I've made from fighting has gone to charity or gone to you know friends or you need it. Money was never, money's never been an inspiration for me. I've had it, I've spent it. No, I've gave fucking tons away. It's never been my motivation. Um, same with the gym. Shit businessman, amazing at running a gym. You know, somebody else deals with the business stuff. The, the, the gym in here is, is something else. It's phenomenal. Um, and everybody that comes in, the atmosphere, the the community that we have here is something that, that's why I built it. Paying bills fucking helps because bills need paid. But it's... That to me is the win. When when you see, especially clients or athletes that you're training, achieve their goals, and you've had a little bit input in that, 
it's just that that's the the victory for you. That's worth a million pound, as far as I'm concerned. It'd be good if they paid that, but <laughs> maybe one day. You mentioned that when you were in the private security sector there that the money was obviously great. Ultimately, with the price that you've paid, mental health wise and things like that, was it all worth it? I'd have done it for free. Did you? Yeah, I I I firmly believe that's what I was I was made to do, looking after people, and they gave me guns and shit. I'm gonna blow stuff up. <laughs> It's like fucking the Commando comics, man. It was great. And it was. And I made friends for life. Some of the best people walking the face of the earth were doing that job. You still um, in touch with like Handsome Rob and these boys, man. I kind of... I distanced myself when I came home. Came off social media. There's a couple of guys that I still speak to now and again, but it's too hard. You know, we don't do reunions. We don't do funerals. If If somebody passes away... Um, then there'll be one of the lads will send out a, an email. I don't even reply to it. I just do my own memorial, um, grieve. It's PTSD yeah. thing. You don't want to, yeah, trigger it. Yeah. And, yeah, it's hard. I mean, you could, and it's like a lot of a lot of um, taglines that you're, you're still there. And there is some nights where I'm still there. You know, it's hard to, you know, even though it's been quite a while, there, there is some times where. You know, those triggers and you know, certain sounds or songs or, or reminds you that certain people and certain things are no longer with us. And it's, it's it's pretty fucking tough. But yeah, so it's easier for us to just, you know, yeah. put that in the box. You've got your memories. Well, the ones that you can remember anyway. But Something's that... just popped in my head and I don't. this is going to sound as if I'm really taking the mickey and I, I don't mean it this way, but... You're just in line for that. <laughs> <laughs> could, could you go to fireworks? Or does the noises and things like that trigger things. Well, I've been to fireworks in about 10 years. Right. And it was one of the one of the things that my therapist did was she sent me a CD of fireworks with no sound and you just see the, the lights but when you go and see the lights the noise and the smell that's a fucking explosion that's right. a firefight you know and it's a lot of us uh, don't it's a, it's a big trigger yeah, for, for veterans it. with PTSD and it's uh it's hard to explain because it's only fucking fireworks. You know it's fireworks. You're there and you know it's fireworks, but you've got a fucking brain injury that says now nah, you're back in the shit else, and yeah. fucking somebody try to kill you. Another funny story was um, shopping. I hate shopping because there's people there and I hate people. But you keep stressing. Me. <laughs> yeah, you're at this. Um, <laughs> Me and JB are worried here. <laughs> yeah, you're. So I'm, I'm in Sainsbury's car park. I think I've been in therapy maybe a year or something. I've been home just over a year. And I'm having a breakdown in the fucking car and people are coming up and knocking in the window and I'm telling them to politely to vacate the scene. And I finally got myself together to go and buy some milk and eggs. That's all I'm wanting, milk and eggs. I know where the milk is, I know where the eggs is, because I've got a map of Sainsbury's. I was in three o'clock in the morning writing a sketch, drawing a sketch map. Fucking security guards like, what are you doing? And my headphones in. And so I goes back in with my little sketch map where the milk and eggs are because I know where the exits are I know where I'm going I do that and do that done walk past the security guard he's on his mic because I'm sweating fucking having a breakdown and they've moved the fucking milk between 3 o'clock that morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon they've rearranged the fucking store so that's me that's me flipped Um, I needed the structure I've been in there knowing where it was grabbing that and going something mundane and an everyday task and I couldn't fucking fathom it, and I couldn't do it. So I dropped the, the basket, went to go out, and the security guards 
God love him, stepped in front of me. Right cross, put him down. And I walked to the store and went, shit. So I hung about, cops turned up, straight away explained what I was doing. And the cop knew me. So lucky enough, went to Carsview. They were going to section me and, and do lots of different fucking things. But they just had a chat. I had a chat with the cops. I had a chat with the mental health nurses. And I was just like, this is what I was trying to do. But my plan, my, my fucking mission, failed at the first hurdle because they moved the milk. Mm. And she's like, what? <laughs> Did you need to punch the... Well, the, the guy stood in front of me. And that's a threat. So in my head, you know... That's a threat. It's a fight or flight type yeah, thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Cortisol kicks and, in. And... and I'm done running with fucking arthritis in my knees, so the fighting's happening. And again, it's. And it's. I didn't go in the shop for about two years. Couldn't. The anxiety. Uh, try to explain anxiety to people. People nowadays think, oh, I've got anxiety. So, no, you're anxious. That's not anxiety. Anxiety fucking destroys you. You know, you sit in a puddle of sweat because you can't get out of the car to go into the spa and get a bottle of water. You can't physically do it. Your anxiety is stopping you from breathing, stopping you from moving. It can stop you leaving the house. Um, destroys relationships. It's a absolute bitch. Throwing depression, bipolar, brain injury, PTSD. You know, got a full house. And these are all things that because you don't have a bandage. Nobody yeah. Sees them nobody well, sees it. Yeah. And it's, it's it's again it's one of those one of the reasons why I came out, so to speak, because people see Big Carl. You know, successful fighter, businessman, fucking, you know, big front on, big smile all the time. But I'm fucking struggling. And that's every day. You know, every day um, you wake up for a reason to stay alive. You, you don't switch off that suicidal thoughts. It's it's always there. I need a reason to stay alive every day. Um, and it's always there, just now. So there has been that day, especially during this last lockdown. There's lots of things going on in my private life and my business life which are fucking horrendous um, which I hope they're getting resolved pretty soon but it's their triggers their reasons so to, to just throw you in a fucking hole but you know if you find yourself going through hell keep going you know that's the all these positivity things I'm a big fan of The Secret massive fan that's why I've got this gym I saw myself in here 10 years ago right. I wanted this gym I saw myself here I knew how to get it I knew the people I had to surround myself with, positive people like Shug and John. If I want to fight, I want to train with the best guys. I want to train with the you know the guys that are going to put me in my ass. I've always said if you're if you're the best guy in the gym, you're training the wrong fucking gym. You know, go and test yourself, and that's what I did. So I saw myself here, positivity, mindfulness. They're not just buzzwords. You got a lot of celebrities and PTs and and assholes using all these stuff on social media, and I've no clue what it means it's just they want likes they want all this bullshit but to, to, to live to live a life with a mental illness and, and that's what I have and then to accept that from being what I was to then accept well you're broken and you need help breaks your heart it fucking destroys you because you've got this persona you've got this uh, image that I'm bulletproof I'm unbreakable and then you've got to go, I'm no, I'm no fucking working. This is serious. You know, I need help. And I think for for people to see that someone like me, again, nothing special, but can admit that, then maybe they can say, well, you know what? Things aren't too great. And a lot of people say to me, 
they feel bad because their trauma is nowhere near mine. It's not a fucking competition. Trauma is trauma. You know, if you're struggling with anything from relationship stuff to money worries to fucking anything at all, speak up. And I've always said, you know, my phone's there, my email's there, fucking knock on my door. Because I'd, I'd rather you, you sat and had a cup of tea and fucking glass of wine and fucking talk to me than, than sit and suffer. Um, so I think me coming out and, and saying, and I don't, I don't agree with it's okay to be not okay. It's not. It's fucking shit. It's horrendous. You know, you're living this um, life where you're in so much fucking pain and you don't think anybody cares. Whereas if you just pick up the phone, people care. Or, you know, go online and message somebody. People care. I mean, you care because you asked to do this. Yeah. I mean, before my life. And you go, you know, you've got a story to tell. And I said no. And fucking millions of times I said no till half an hour before you got here. Because, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's wine and, and shit. So it's not, it's not easy doing this. This isn't my comfort zone at all. But, you know, I think if, if they're doing this and coming and speaking about, you know, what I've come through, what I'm going through, Helps one person. It's all cliche, but I, I, I totally, I, I totally think so. We've spoke about quite a lot of dark moments and things yeah. like that. Let's just just flip it. Out of everything so far, and you've you've got a lot of damage still to do. What would be your proudest moment? My proudest moment, um, my daughters. They don't. My my oldest daughter has cerebral palsy. Um, who lives with my parents, and she's my life. Uh, my youngest daughter, I love her. But with everything, but we don't have a relationship. We're trying try to build on that. But she lives with her mum. Um, she's a little bit. She's way on twenty. Um, but I'm so proud of her, of what the 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 person she's becoming, and that's your 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 little things that you keep in your heart. The, those personal moments, accomplishments was Greenberry. That's ninety nine point nine percent need not apply for a fucking reason. That was the hardest, you know, physical thing ever done. Especially being told that I couldn't do it, I wasn't good enough, and that's from you know close friends, family members saying that's not for you. You couldn't do the balls to do that, which didn't help my self esteem, but it gives you that that drive. So yeah, the accomplishment was 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 doing that, and then probably seeing other people succeed that you've had that like I said before that little bit of influence on, you know some of my clients, some of my friends that I've been able to guide or help, you no know, reach. I may do amazing things. Does give you that that more pride? You know, just that you know, I feel you know a little bit selfish that you can you're not riding their coattails, but you know, I, I did a little bit yeah. um, to help them get where they are. That that that's 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 pretty good. And the gym as well. You know, I'm always creating something here. Um, that's my kind of my sanity, my my anchor is is I've got to be here to to keep this place going because I I believe nobody else can do this. Um, what I built here is has got a big part of me, big part of my soul in it, um, which makes it you know, a bit bit unique. A lot of gyms are soulless, faceless fucking corporations, whereas this is this is me. So I'm the gym, the gym's me. So it's gonna yeah that as well. And what does the future hold then? What do you what have you still got on your horizon that you think I still want to achieve this? This is the tough thing, is I don't, and that's the thing where the. The mental health thing is I'm, I'm one day at a time. Just now it's one day at a time, is and it's this keeping this, this the business going. And it's this I don't know, I don't know the words, um, but I've done a lot. I've achieved everything that I wanted to do. So it's hard to then 
and that, that's you know the life expectancy of guys in my position was six years once you retire you're done in six years by either health reasons or your own hand so I'm at 11 so I'm fucking I'm doing good I'm, I'm winning I'd like to fight again for, for reasons personal to me I'd like to keep helping people I'd like to you know there's there's a couple of things in the horizon that I've been asked to be involved with charity wise which I'm excited about but I, I want the, the, the mental health I want to be involved in the mental health stuff in Angus more so with kids and try and flip that around if, if I can. I mean, that's one of my goals is, is to, to get into schools and, you know, either bring in boxing or martial arts or just fitness to, to kids um, as medication to get them off, you know, regular stuff yeah. and get them get them moving and get them active. Yeah. I'm very selfless, which sometimes is to my detriment, but it's just the way I am. No, I can't. You ask me what I want and I'd like... I don't, yeah, I don't. I don't want anything. I didn't know what to expect before we came out here because mm. I didn't know what way the conversation was going to yeah. go and, and how open you would be about different things. I think you've been incredibly open. Uh, for me, it's been fascinating. I honestly don't know whether to offer you a spar or give you a cuddle. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, all I can say is most of them end up doing the same thing. <laughs> Start off cuddling, sparring, sparring. <laughs> we cuddle, we cosy. Uh, so. Thanks very much for coming on. Uh, a this pleasure. Has been enlightening. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and maybe in the future we will be able to have another chat, depending on yeah, you know once things, things are, are all out in the open. Appreciate all it. Right. Thank you very much, Carl. Cheers, mate. Cheers, man. Cheers. You've been listening to the Smokies and Wine podcast, sponsored by Clack and View Wealth Management, working with you today to plan for your tomorrow.